When you believe in Jesus, you become his apprentice, his follower, his disciple, and you belong to him, and belonging brings hope. And if, if you have hope in your life, come over here a bit. If you have hope in your life, you can't hide it. You, you can't hide it. It's in your voice, it's in the set of your shoulders, it's in the way you walk. It's in the way you make eye contact with people. It's in your conversation. It's, it's in your demeanour. If you have hope, it, it can't be hidden. And of course, if you don't have hope, if you're hopeless, you can't hide it. It comes out in everything about you. And I want to pick up one particular phrase of Jesus, one key teaching If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And um, that, that is just such a key word. And the interesting and challenging thing about it is that Jesus said it to people who were already following him. So it wasn't like first conversion... You know, it wasn't like meeting the fisherman for the first time, come and follow me. This was people who already believed, but who struggled a bit, who struggled with some of Jesus' teaching. And particularly, they struggled with the idea that they were captives. How can you call me a captive, spiritually speaking? I'm a child of Abraham. I descended from Abraham. How can you tell me there's anything that I need to be free of? So they struggled. And And it's interesting. Instead of telling them off or preaching the same thing again, Jesus says, if you continue in my word... That that has both the sense of holding on to what you've already got, the truth you've already had... And going on a journey to what you haven't got yet. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciple and the truth will set you free. Now, our culture already thinks that we're free. And not, not for the same reasons as in the New Testament, not because of our descent, but because we think of ourselves as free, autonomous beings, independent, who can choose what we like and be what we like. So, you know, how, how can you tell me that you need to be set free? And we looked a little bit at the start of this year at how our culture resists Christianity... And I want to return that today because awareness of the water we swim in, understanding some of the currents, is helpful, so helpful for us and for other people too. And nationally, last year was the anniversary of the armistice of World War I with all the stories. But little reflection on what happened as a result of the First World War. And if you take a step back, 
Victorian England was full of confidence, self-confidence. We had an empire. There was more wealth and more opportunity and more social mobility than there had ever been before. There was a belief in the God of the Bible. In the previous generation, John Wesley had had a huge impact on the life of the nation. The church was a favoured institution. And um, if you're into hymns, the hymn Jerusalem captures the mood of that era, captures kind of the sense of identity of Victorian England. And there was, of course, a dark side as well, the Industrial Revolution, conditions in the factories, extremes of wealth and poverty, and a, and a lot of, of arrogance um, you know, about the white Europeans compared with the rest of the world. It was all of that as well. And spiritually and intellectually, towards the end of that era, there was a growing scepticism about the world of the Bible. Were we really humans made in God's image? Were we really sinners in need of a saviour? Or were we really just mammals, happily evolving towards a bright new future? And this huge social change, new ideas about equality and opportunity, many of which we would embrace and welcome. Just not all of them. And on the left, Marx and Lenin claimed that belief in God and the church was just the way that those with power kept everybody else in place. And of course there was some truth to that, but then ruling elites have always done that. Ruling elites have always used the social and belief structures of the day to cement their power. Nothing new there. Up till then, Christianity was the dominant message, the kind of underneath generally believed way of seeing the world. But World War I swept away much of the Victorian confidence. To nominally Christian nations at each other's throats and, and on both sides, the, the churches did nothing to say, stop, stop, you shouldn't be doing this. And as a result, the Christian establishment, the church, lost its credibility and its place. It wasn't just the church, it's institutions generally. It was a long process, didn't happen overnight. It was more like a plug being pulled out of a reservoir and the water draining slowly away. It left a gap because the cynicism, the, the confidence, uh, you'd probably say the overconfidence of the Victorian era became cynicism and doubt. And into the gap in Europe came Hitler on the right with the thousand-year Reich and Stalin on the left with the dictatorship of the proletariat. Hitler was defeated. Stalinism lost its mass appeal. 
And in reaction, along with everything else, we became extremely suspicious of leadership. You know, understandably, we do not want another Hitler or another Stalin. We also lost hope that science would deliver the new age. You know, there was so much fear in that era about nuclear war. We gave up on having any big picture at all about what life is like, and we became postmodern. People of my generation will probably remember Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Anybody read that? You know the answer to life, the universe, and everything is 42. Yeah, it says it all. People stopped writing utopias, which is a vision of a bright new future where everyone's happy, and we got dystopias instead. Hunger Games, Maze Runner, 3%. And Brexit, I don't know if you've noticed, but the, the debate is a huge dystopia. No one's offering a great vision of what we could be like in Europe or outside Europe. It's doom. The doom of in Europe is worse than the doom of out Europe or the other way around, depending on where you sit. It's all about whose doom is worse. And we are suspicious of any big picture story that tells us who we are and what we're for. You can have your big story, you can have your big picture, but that's your truth, that's not my truth. True for you is as far as we go. And if you want it put really simply, like many institutions in our country now, churches are X. We try to have a civilised relationship with it for the sake of the kids, but that is as far as it goes. And I want you to get this. I want you to get it, but not to be intimidated by it. It isn't different from any other prejudice that Christians have faced down the ages. It isn't different from the prejudice that Christians were against the emperor and subversive in the first century. And you know, all the way down the ages, it isn't different from the prejudice there's always been against anyone who wants to live a life for Jesus. It's no different. And it is important not to overstate it. Culture does not compel people. It's a massive influencer, but it doesn't compel us. You know, people fall in love and get together across the strongest cultural barriers. People fight for dreams and against injustice, against the strongest social norms. Culture is an influencer. It doesn't compel us. And it's at its most powerful when it's hidden. You are most easily influenced when you don't realise you're being influenced at all. When you don't understand what's manipulating you, that's when you're most easily manipulated. Which is part of the reason why I'm talking about it, so that we can see the water in which we swim. Also, it is primarily a reaction against church and Christians and not a reaction against Jesus. 
And you can cut church down to size. And you can cut Christians down to size. You know, you can say it's lost its credibility, it's outdated, you know, rubbish at safeguarding, no use for it, you know. You can do all of that. But you can't cut God down to size. You can't cut Jesus down to size. He has no rival. He has no equal. Now and forever, he will reign. You you can't cut Jesus and the power of his word and the power of his gospel down to size. You can raise up prejudice, and of course we see the enemy's hand behind it. You can raise up prejudice, but you can't cut Jesus down to size. But the result of this kind of cultural development and then, you know, the revolution of the 60s around sex and social arrangements as well is that there is an emptiness, a deep, deep emptiness in our culture. Why was I born? Am I for anything? Does my life matter? Is there any point in me being alive? It's hard to live a story that has no meaning. It's hard to live without hope. And into the vacuum comes the story of me. The story of me takes centre stage. Life's all about me, because there isn't anything else. It's about me. My identity, my right to choose, maybe my cause. I can do and be anything I want. Or at least I could, if I wasn't the victim of someone or something else. What I decide for myself is right by definition. It's all about me because that's all I've got. And that makes us very vulnerable and our identity of self very fragile. Because the world really isn't all about me and I really can't be anything I want my genes, my abilities, my background, experiences, peer groups, health, my own fallenness and brokenness, all these things and many more put limits on me. Plus, we are hugely influenced by the people around us. We're hugely influenced. Humans are actually rather lemming-like in many ways. The story of me is junk food. The story of me leaves us hungry. And shame and self-image problems overwhelm us. You can wash your body, but you cannot wash your soul. Now you can clean the outside, but the things that have marked you and scarred you, the things that you have done, the things that other people have done, No, those, you can't wash them off you. You cannot cleanse yourself. But Jesus can cleanse you. Jesus can cleanse you. The blood of the cross can cleanse you. The blood of the cross can deal with anything. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. 
and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. God welcomes us into a reality of his making. We didn't make it, he made it. We don't have to work it all out for ourselves. We have his word. And he not only reveals who he is, he reveals who we are as well. Just like a parent whispers words of love and affirmation over a a really small child, you know, they hold them in their arms and they tell them how beautiful and how precious they are and how much they love them and, you know, all, all of that stuff, and it kind, of, it kind of goes in. That's what God does with us. He whispers words of affirmation over us and love, and he says, if you're in me, then you're clean. And our universe is not random or indifferent. God is so good. The gospel of Jesus rescues all our longings and brings us home. So on the one hand, we've got ourselves, and I would guess that most people in this room have encountered the grace and the glory and the goodness and the love of Jesus. And you know, you can join in the worship and your heart says yes. And you know that you can not just wash your body, but that your soul is clean as well. So we've got that. But then on the other side, we've got the culture, which is so resistant to church and so resistant to Christians. And we can't put the clock back. There's, there's no going back. I mean, it will run out of steam, all cultural prejudices do in the end. But for now... We're stuck with that. And it really helps us if we recognize that the prejudice is there. We understand some of the reasons for it, but we're not intimidated by it in the least. It's no different from the first Christians, you know, getting prejudice because people thought they were subversive and didn't respect the emperor wasn't true. They did respect the emperor. They just respected God more. You know, I got it again at the um, youth weekend. Um, I was there with Anne to do some input yesterday. We had a, a lovely time and then we went, it was in Sherwood Forest, what's left of it, and um, Afterwards, we went for a walk together. It was great you know, to, to hang out with the teenagers. And uh, you're going to see the really big tree that could have been Robin Hood's tree. And um, it's about, it's over a thousand years old. And it's an amazing, so it's a lovely tree. And um, so there's a notice board to explain it. And the notice board admits it probably wasn't Robin Hood's actual tree, but it could have been, you know, that kind of thing. But I, I, I mean, I noticed this. There's a link between possible Robin Hood and, and pagan religion in England, which is very positive. And then there is a kind of jibe at the Catholic Church, which is totally unnecessary and nothing to do with the story. But 
the, you know, it's there. It's there. Whoever did that notice board couldn't resist, you know, that little dig. And to me, that, that says it all. That's how it is. But I want to be not intimidated by that at all. It's just an influence. It's just prejudice. You can get past it. It does help if we carry carry the message of Jesus rather than the message of church. It really, really helps if we carry the message of Jesus rather than the message of church. You can cut church down to size. You cannot cut Jesus down to size. Now, his spirit is stronger than the spirit of the age. There is something about the beauty, the compassion, the power, the goodness of Jesus that just cuts through all that stuff. If people can see his life in your life, that's really powerful. It's amazing how engaging, how attractive, how subversive even a small community, even a small household, even two or three friends who have Jesus at the centre can be. Just when they do very simple things, just like saying what they're thankful for over a meal. The story of me is a desert. It doesn't satisfy And the other stuff is just a prejudice. We need to know it's there. We don't need to, we don't need to sweat about it. It will end. You know, they always do. I just want to go back to that beginning Bible verse. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's a really good bit of scripture to memorize. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And... um, I think the Holy Spirit wants to do something around the cleansing this morning, just that sense of cleansing and freedom that we have because we're his. That we're as thoroughly clean on the inside as our bodies would be as we step out of the shower. Just clean on the inside because that's his love for us and that's his gift for us and it's easy for us to pick up condemnation especially in an era of prejudice it's easy to pick up rubbish and uh, I think what the Holy Spirit wants to do this morning is kind of the spiritual equivalent of a shower it would be a really good practice if every time we had a shower we thought of the gift of Jesus to us. If we turned a shower into a spiritual exercise where we just smile 
because he set us free and inside we're clean. And a worship is an amazing way to take that kind of, of a shower. It's an amazing way to come into God's presence and be free. It's not the only way, but it's a great way. And um, So I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to ask the band to come. And we, we're just going to spend a minute or two kind of under the shower.